Now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last Sunday, you may recall that we looked at Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer and that he taught us that our prayers shouldn't be pretentious and how in order to prove how unpretentious I am, I began with a joke, the most simplistic of all joke forms, the knock-knock joke, knock-knock who's there, to, to who, I'm sorry, I believe you actually mean to whom. Um, at the 8.30 service, I completely botched it, uh, the delivery, but I, I like to think that at the 10.15 service, I nailed it. Um, and it turns out that the joke was far from simple. It was actually brilliant, wasn't it? Uh, if you don't mind me saying. The irony of me telling you that it was a simplistic uh, jo joke to prove how unpretentious I am, only to have it end with such a pretentious punchline, uh, was ingenious in itself. Uh, but then that continued to the multi-layered complexity of the subtle way in which we introduced the theme of the sermon, the address the Lord's Prayer, to whom we pray. Uh, it was, as I say, very impressive. But I didn't need to, to explain it to you last week because I like to think the joke spoke for itself. But I bring it up now because I just thought it'd be nice for us to remember those good times um, <laughs> that, that we had together before what comes next. The subject matter of today's sermon uh, brings to mind another joke. Unfortunately, it's not brilliant or complex or multi-layered. I, I don't even know if it's good at all. Uh, and I'm sure it's one many of you may have heard before, but given the subject matter of today's discussion, it seems that this joke like Thanos from Marvel's Avengers is inevitable. So we got to do it. Here we go. A Sunday school teacher once asked the class, who can tell me what are some different names used when talking about God? One of the enthusiastic young boys, like we have at our church, shot up his hand and shouted out, Hallowed. The Sunday school teacher was confused. Hallowed, he said, how did you get that answer? And the boy responded confidently, it's in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> I, I want to apologize again for the joke. Um, the 830 responded by saying, you should. Um, apparently it's told differently as well. As I say, it is, is well known, and apparently the name is sometimes misinterpreted as Harold. Harold be thy name, but I don't know. Anyway, as we turn today to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, it does seem that this joke was inevitable. Uh, at least now we can say we've faced this inevitable mild awkwardness together. We've embraced it and uh, we're ready to soldier on. Last week we began our reflection on the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus taught us how to pray. And he introduced this prayer by first teaching us how not to pray. Jesus says that our prayer is not to be pretentious. It's not to the audience. It's not a performance to show people how holy we are, though it can certainly be for those listening and praying along, it can be on their behalf. Our prayer is still always to God. 
not to those who are listening. And so Jesus reminds us that God sees the intentions of our prayers and answers accordingly. Jesus also teaches that praying to idols or just throwing our prayers out into the abyss in hopes that someone or something out there might hear and respond also isn't the way to pray. And through this, Jesus teaches us that it matters to whom we pray. And so Jesus taught us that to whom we pray, to whom we address our prayers isn't just important, but it is that on which the entire prayer centers. And Jesus taught us to pray to our Father in heaven. We pray to our Father, not my Father, because even though our prayers are sometimes private between us and God, and we have a personal relationship with our Father in heaven, it's also shared. We are also all members of one body. We're members of God's family, and we pray accordingly. And we pray to our Father, because as Jesus' disciples were adopted as God's children, we have the privilege of enjoying the intimate relationship with God of a father and a child, the same intimate relationship shared with God the Father and God the Son. And our Father loves and cares for and is concerned for the needs of each one of us, and because of this, He has the will to answer our prayers. But we also pray to our Father in heaven, because he's seated on his throne. He is God, the almighty, sovereign ruler of all things. And because of this, he's in control and has the power and is able to answer our prayers. This is to whom Jesus taught us to pray. And Jesus then presents an example of how to pray through seven petitions. Like the Beatitudes and the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer begins with a focus on God before shifting to focus on the needs of the community, the needs of his disciples. There is an intentional sequential order again, and it's an order of priority. The priority of our petitions, our supplications, our requests. And the first, and therefore the most important, is the petition, Hallowed be your name. This opening of the Lord's Prayer closely ref reflects a prayer that God's people already prayed in the synagogues during Jesus' time, a prayer known as the Kaddish. And the prayer opens, Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world, which he created according to his will. May he let his kingdom rule in your lifetime, speedily and soon. So this is likely a prayer that Jesus would have also prayed as he worshipped in the synagogues, as was his custom. So the people of God were already well-versed and practiced in praying that the name of God would be hallowed, the name that God had revealed to them through Moses. If we recall from Exodus 3, 13-14, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people, I am has sent me to you. This is God's divine name. It was given to us in the Hebrew scriptures as four Hebrew consonants, Yod, He, Vav, He, Y, H, W, H, 
Yahweh. This is God's divine name. According to our catechism, which is essentially an instruction manual, instruction manual for disciples, the name God reveals to Moses is, I am who I am, or simply I am. And this name means that he alone is truly God. He is the source of his own being. He is holy and just. And he cannot be defined by his creatures, by the ones he created, something we've reflected on a number of times. The name I am isn't just a philosophical statement. It isn't just I exist or I'm here. It's also a relational statement. It's I am here with you and for you. He is God with us. So God's name reveals who he is, his nature, his character, his power, and his purposes. And we pray that God's name would be hallowed. Hallowed be is translated from the original Greek word hagiadzo, which we get from the word hagos, which means an awful thing. So basically it does mean that we're praying our Father in heaven, may your name be made awful. That's true. But of course, hagos doesn't mean awful as in gross or horrible. It means awful as in full of awe, worthy of awe. The Greek word also means physically pure, morally blameless. It means sacred, consecrated, purified, set apart. It means holy. So hagiadzo then means to make ceremonially ceremonially holy, to separate and then to cleanse or purify or consecrate or sanctify. This also then means to venerate, which means to glorify. So the concern of this first petition is that God's name and thus God with it would be set apart as holy and treated with the highest honor, respect, reverence, and glory. So how do we do this? How is God's name hallowed? Perhaps most obvious, but certainly very important, is that we can honor God's name by being careful with how we use it. Being careful to use it respectfully. If we use God's name lightly, in vain, we aren't remembering God's holiness. And then we see in that that the petition is also a reflection of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Like the third commandment, the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is asking us that we treat God's name as holy with due reverence. As we mentioned earlier, God's name is special because it reveals who he is. It carries his personal identity. And so the way we use God's name conveys the way we feel about God. Because we love God, we should use his name with respect, with reverence, not carelessly, not profanely, not treating God's name as if it's empty of meaning. To hallow God's name means to remember, to respect, to honor, to revere his name, to set it apart as holy. But it also means far more than just reverent speech. Our actions and the intentions behind them speak far louder than just our words. And this is why this Jewish prayer, the Kaddish, 
proclaims, exalted and hallowed be his name. And it recognizes that God's people could hallow his name by living rightly, by the way that they live. On the other hand, it also then recognizes that living wrongly would profane God's name, would bring damage to God's reputation among all the surrounding nations. And this certainly still applies today. How often do people lose faith in God, in the church, because of the behavior of Christians? And so as the Catechism summarizes, we can hallow, revere, honor God's name as holy by worshiping him, glorifying his name, by loving and serving others, and by living in loving obedience to his teaching, his commandments, as his children, as citizens of his kingdom. These are some of the ways that we can hallow God's name. But that's not the prayer, is it? We're not praying to ourselves. We're not praying that we would hallow God's name. We're not even praying that God would give us the power to hallow his name. We're praying to God that his name would be hallowed. Because God's name is holy in itself. It's already holy. It doesn't need us to make it holy. It's really God who glorifies his own name. The Catechism explains that God does this through his saving mighty works, through the way he has saved humanity, brought us back into relationship with God by building his church and by establishing his kingdom in this world and in the age to come. And this is why this Jewish prayer proclaims, exalted and hallowed be his name and may his kingdom come speedily and soon. Because the prayer recognizes that God's name will ultimately be hallowed, sanctified, shown as holy in the end when his kingdom does come as God has promised through the prophets. There's a longing in that prayer for the day when all people will acknowledge God as Lord, just as there is in the Lord's prayer. But God's name is exalted now in the world. God is glorified through his creation, through the people that he has created, as well as through his ultimate plan to bring us back into relationship with him, to redeem the world back as he intended it to be. God's name is exalted through his mighty works, through his big story of rescue and redemption. And we see this in so many of the prayers in the Bible that ask God to reveal his glory to the world for his namesake through his mighty saving works. And just one of many examples is from Psalm 79 verse 9, which reads, Help us, God, our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And as our friend Daryl Johnson points out, Jesus teaches us to pray, Hallowed be your name, because that is what he prays. Jesus teaches us to pray this petition first, because it's what he prays first. And Jesus prays this first because it is at the center of his mission. 
Jesus came into the world so that God's name would be hallowed, glorified. And we see this in our gospel reading today from Jesus' final discourse with his disciples at the Last Supper on the night that he was betrayed. Jesus prayed for his disciples, saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Jesus prayed, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus prayed, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Jesus reveals through this prayer that he came to reveal, to glorify God by the power of his name, by making God and his name known, so that the relationship, the love between the Father and the Son would be shared with us. Jesus came to restore our relationship with the Father for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his name. And Jesus shares in this prayer that his own names is one with God's name and reveals this mission. In Hebrew, Jesus' name is Joshua or Yeshua, and it means Yahweh saves or Yahweh to the rescue. And as Daryl Johnson points out, in every word Jesus speaks, in every deed Jesus does, the nature and character of the saving God is being revealed, just as Jesus states in his prayer from our gospel reading in his final discourse with his disciples. Johnson continues to explain that this means that Jesus dying on the cross is the final glorification of the name of God. Jesus' death on the cross hallows the name of God. Jesus' death on the cross is the great moment when the nature and character of the living God is finally and decisively manifested and honored. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name first, because it's what he prays first, he does so, knowing that the Father answers this prayer through the Son, through Emmanuel, God with us. This is also why in John 14, 13, Jesus also teaches us, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus also teaches us that his name and our prayers will be answered, that the Father may be glorified because the Father and the Son are one. And so perhaps somewhat ironically, it turns out that the one who teaches us how to pray is himself the answer to the prayer. In Jesus, the Father's name is finally and fully hallowed. God is the one who glorifies his own name. And he does this through Jesus, who came to glorify God, to reveal God and to make his name known. Jesus teaches us to pray that this would happen when God's name would be hallowed and would be treated as holy throughout the world. But Jesus also recognized that this doesn't happen until God's name is known. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we do so recognizing that while we aren't the ones who make 
God's name holy. God's name is already holy. We do have a part to play. We do get to be a part of God answering the first petition. And we do this by following in Jesus' footsteps, by making the name of God known. Just as the third commandment suggests, by taking God's name, not in vain, but intentionally with purpose, with us, seeking to glorify God in all we do, just as Jesus did. And we've observed that taking God's name means carrying it, bearing it. Hallowing God's name means more than just what we say. It means more than just reverent speech. It includes our actions, our behavior, what we do, as well as the intentions behind them. And as we reflected when we looked at the third commandment back in the fall, taking, carrying, bearing the name of the Lord our God is our vocation. It's our calling. It's always been the vocation, the calling of God's people. This is what Israel were called and born to do, to be a blessing to all nations as a kingdom of priests, to bear God's name with them, to carry it with them, to represent their God to the rest of humanity and reveal God's name to all nations, who he is, what he's done on our behalf, and what he promises to do. So taking, carrying, bearing God's name has always been the vocation, the calling of God's people, and Jesus taught us that it's our vocation. It is what we are called to do as his disciples. We're also called to be a blessing to all nations as a royal priesthood of all believers, to reveal and represent our God, who he is, what he's done on our behalf, and what he promises to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, just as Jesus commanded us to do, to hallow God's name, bearing his name, and this means glorifying his name, representing his name, and sharing his name. This is why we gather on Sunday morning, to glorify the name of God in our worship. And this is what we're sent out to do afterwards, for the rest of the week, in the power of the Holy Spirit, to take the name of God with us, to bear it, to carry it, to represent it, and to make it known. This is the part we have to play. But we also gather to acknowledge that at the end of the day, God's name is really already holy, and God is the one who will ultimately one day make his name known throughout the world. We gather to acknowledge and celebrate that one day the name of God will be set apart, holy, glorified, hallowed, throughout the world, that this is inevitable. Praise God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. You've revealed your name to us. And we thank you that you have sent your Son to show us who you are, to glorify your name, to teach us the part we have to play as your disciples and as your children. And so we pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit as you have promised on each one here. Fill them and equip them with the strength to fulfill this calling, this vocation,
to glorify your name, to represent your name, and to share your name with the world around us, to hallow your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.